Hi everybody and welcome to the End of Sales podcast. I hope you're all well who's watching. Also from us at the End of Sales, a big happy new year as, as we're on the 1st of January 2024, fresh off a Derby Day victory. 2-1 to Celtic and before we get stuck in, how are we all doing? All good, Stephen, all good. I mean, the weekend makes makes the feeling, doesn't it? It's, 100%, really. I feel great. Anthony, what about yourself, Phil? <laughs> Yeah, feeling absolutely fantastic. Obviously, throughout December, we were dropping points. Things were going a bit sour for us at times. But to end the year like that and to come into the new year, knowing that everything's in our hand and we've just thumped them, yeah, happy days, man. Happy days. Unbelievable. Glasgow is green away, James. How are you feeling? Aye, all good. A wee bit bagged up for my steak pie, but apart from that, I can't complain. <laughs> uh, I, uh, relatively, I'd say it was relatively unexpected at the weekend for myself, at least anyway, and they tend to be the best ones, so mm. aye, brilliant. Yeah. To be fair, I thought you were going to say you're still recovering from the, the question of sport quiz. The aftermath, we all aye, stayed yeah. on about half two in the morning. The after party, aye, just, just <laughs> about getting there. <laughs> <laughs> they say no more, they say no more. But I've welcomed everyone in the comments as well. Glad you're all joining us on this New Year's Day. But look, Anthony, start with yourself. You weren't on for the for the, the question of sports. I have team yet, there's no point me doing tears. You you were the yeah, for the question of sports. Is it brew dog or something? Aye, no, well, I think it's like the it. That's twice he's fucked me up here coming to you, Anthony. He's just cut me up twice. The wee dad. But, at least the <laughs> <laughs> but here, hey, Anthony, as I was saying, you, you weren't on the, the, the Quest of Sport quiz. It was a good night. I, by the way, anyone who hasn't seen it, catch up with it. It was a great laugh. I mean, two teams going head to head. I won't say who won, but you can probably guess with a smile. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, me and James did quite well. But, Anthony, th- this was a period at the time in Celtics form that, I mean, the last three games, if you take Rangers into account and the games before that, we were kind of questing and getting into it, obviously dropping points, losing games. Some of us weren't confident, rightly so. Like James said, it probably wasn't to be expected and how easy it actually was in the end. But before we get into the game itself, the lineup, the pre-match build-up, I thought that the stadium was on point. Uh, like you never walk alone beforehand was just goosebumps, even on the TV. And, I mean, if you look at the lineup as well, you have the likes of Stephen Welsnow in there, the, a young boy for the academy, Liam Scales, wasn't fancied, and all these players pulled together and pulled off a fantastic victory. Yeah, it's, uh, I'll take the first point of the, um, the the you never walk alone. I was actually at the game uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they sang it as well. And I took the twelve year old with me, and he he thoroughly enjoyed his time. But see, when you see us singing that anthem and prolonging it into the start of the game and stuff, it just makes it feel even more better. You, like you say, you get that those goosebumps. You just get right involved in the the feeling of the game, and I think that set the tone for us going into that match as it started. For the lineup itself, though, uh, I think it kind of it kind of picked itself, and we all saw, especially that midfield three with Bernardo coming in the last few games as well. We were obviously trying to get a settled squad and a settled lineup there. The um, the introduction of Welsh put through injuries to to Carter Vickers that's probably the only span in the works. But see, to be honest, he held himself well for the short period of time that he was on the game uh, on the match. Um, but on the whole. The lineup kind of wrote itself. It, you could feel it building for those few games. We were progressively getting a little bit more settled. I'm not going to say we're we're flying high and we're, we're playing at our best. We're far, far from that. But you can see the settled side coming into it. And yeah, it's it the perfect and the best team that we could pick from who was available. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think for Annie as well, you could feel the, 
the togetherness that they might not have been there in the previous two or three weeks. Obviously, the toxic atmosphere that James described before it is at the ground when we got beat. I mean, coming into that, the three games, we had to win all three. We couldn't afford to slip up, and we actually duly delivered in that front. And Roger said it as well. I mean, obviously, the Holy Trinity side of things, he spoke about that in his first spell. But I just thought that the feeling inside the ground, the feeling, even the build-up to the game, and, yeah, why some of us weren't confident. I think, at the end of the day, anything can happen in these Derby games. I've seen it at, at Ibrox when we had Larga against Scales at the back and a, a, a kind of bit-part team thrown together. I just thought I had the, the makeup of a fantastic game, which it turned out to be. And just again, the support was fantastic. I know the support was was amazing, Stephen. Like there wasn't full voice, a full game, and stuff. But I was, I, th- I have to admit that I was a wee bit not maybe with James and not too confident. I, I thought, well, not too confident going into it. I was talking myself into a three-one victory. I was trying to sort of bring on sort of a look into the game at Ibrox, but I think we were going into that. I was maybe thinking makeshift back four, no really great form. Couldn't see how we could win the game. And I think I was just trying to kind of lean on that to try and get a win. So I was, I felt we could get one, but I was, I was thinking they're, they're on a great run and we're not playing great. Especially at home, we're a wee bit indifferent as well. Some of the performances are pretty poor at home. And it's the Rangers with the new manager that they came in. He'd we'd all slated how bad the players were, but he was getting a tune at the players. So you were sitting thinking, this boy's actually. And I think that is maybe for myself gave it put a wee bit of fear in it, going, well, this guy's clearly got a bit about him. He obviously knows what he's doing. So have they got a chance really to, to really put a nail in their coffin here? Because obviously they they got themselves back. At, well, I say they got themselves back in the, the league title in the sense that we had dropped silly points and stuff, so with their games in hand, it essentially put it in their favour, but obviously after after Saturday, we've, I know it's a long way to go, but the league's certainly in, in our hands now, because obviously the, it, that one nullifies their shot for two games in hand, but uh, it was an absolute fantastic performance, just I felt Rangers had their moments in the first half, you, you expect that, but I know we'll get into it, but after the second goal, up to the red card, I thought we absolutely cruised it, and just in case we didn't talk about it, I see all the Mikey Johnson fans were a bit quiet uh, at the weekend because <laughs> he was horrendous. Wow. Watching well, Greg Taylor crack up with him was absolutely top quality feeling. But James, did you go to the game? Mm-hmm. Aye, I was there. What, what was it like for, obviously, the, the difference between that toxic atmosphere till then? What was the, the big difference there? Oh, it was night and day. It was night and day. Um, I think getting into it, that... Uh, Similar to what Franny was saying there, obviously we we weren't the confident. I wasn't confident made in the sense of our performances. Um, it wasn't the end of the day we like, I thought that kind of Rangers were, were playing out their skin. Any time I've seen them, they've been kind of scraping wins. Maybe they've played better, obviously, than they have under Bill, but they've been kind of scraping wins. Um, Any time I've seen them, but obviously we haven't been doing that, as we've seen um, the last few weeks. We're talking about the toxic atmosphere and things like that. Just hope this can be, be going to say kickstart our season, but we're halfway through it. But you just really hope that we can kick on for here. Um, obviously going into the transfer window and into the second half of the season. But that uh, a really enjoyable day, and the the kind of comfort that I was taking going into it was that I felt that our by and large our best performances this season have been in the Champions League. We've maybe not always got the result gone away, obviously, but I think kind of both Feyenoord games, um, the Atletico Madrid game at home as well, probably our best performances of the season. 
Um, and I just felt that they were going to come and have a go at us, which they would get chances, which they did. But that kind of suits us as well because it frees up the space in behind. And I think we've seen under Rodgers this season when a team's basically playing 11 men behind the ball, that's when we tend to, we tend to mm-hmm. struggle a bit more. Um, so that was a kind of the comfort that I was taking into it, that they would come and try and get the ball down and play a bit, which they didn't. I think the ball must need two paracetamol after every game if that's the way they play. It's just punt and run tactics in it. But at the same time, that is kind of what we struggle with, so fair play. But nah, barring a wee couple of five, ten minute spells, I think by and large we were we were the team in control and it was a, a thoroughly deserved win. 100%. Before we get stuck into the game, Anthony Palm wants to know what jersey that is you're on mute big man he's not mute sorry i mute myself because i've got a baby in the house right. <laughs> <laughs> i've got a, a wee touch pad um this is mexico away from last year for the the world cup which i don't believe i actually got a shown but for me an absolute belt of a shirt a nice little aztec design that's a cracker that's a cracker man if you want a bad does that sound no one joke uh, Stephen Murdoch was a brilliant day Saturday, Saturday, but we'll meet nothing if we don't take the three points tomorrow. Alistair Jack need this as a kickstart. Red Scotland, thankfully, this is a good point. I think I suspect that Bernardo would have a big part to play. Proved to be the case, thankfully. But the biggest congratulations goes to their manager. Well done, Brendan. Many put back in their box. But if we take that back to Bernardo, he started. He's basically started the last three games, I believe. And we were all speaking about who was going to fill that void. We know Atate's back, but he wasn't quite fit enough to, to make the starting eleven. He was on the bench, which is also a good boost for us at Anabada. But with, with Bernardo, and Franny, Franny said it, a lot of us have said it on the podcast, we don't quite know what he does as an overall package. But what I'm seeing in the last couple of games is he's very box-to-box. He's physical. He can pass the ball. And what, what again I'm saying is he's he's adding that final product. And that's two goals and two games. And look, I've seen the whole reaction on Twitter for people to say, sign him up, sign him up. We've been too early for that. Let, let's say it over a prolonged period of time and see if he can keep that form going into the next part of the season and if he can prove a pivotal player. But seeing him grow in confidence, because he started the Champions League games and James made a point we, we were better in terms of because people are opening up and in the Champions League, but obviously the results didn't go away the majority of the time, which still bugs me. But Bernardo, Anthony, how do you think he's done? I think he's done really well the last couple of games. Um, he's deserved his few starts that he's had, and I think he deserves to start tomorrow night as well. Um, just thinking about it as you're speaking there, trying to piece this together as people want to see a midfield three that allows McGregor to push forward a wee bit more. And when we play Turnbull and O'Reilly, I find those two are very, very similar players. They try to play the exact same position and role sometimes, which means McGregor has to sit back as that defensive kind of in the, in the triangle that Rogers likes to see once it back and two kind of doing the legwork. With Bernardo, he's kind of doing what McGregor, we expect McGregor to do. But I don't think he's quite technically as gifted as McGregor is. But what that allows McGregor to do is also go in tandem with Bernardo and then leave O'Reilly a bit more for, 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 uh, mm. further forward, which is kind of reverse of what we're trying to do with the defensive and two attack and then kind of weird way that we're trying to do it. But what is <clears throat> what I'm noticing is without it being Turnbull, we're allowing McGregor to do more of what he does and Bernardo jumping in to help with that rather than the other way around of alienating McGregor to stay back defensively, which actually just speeds up our midfield. 
And it's one of the biggest gripes I've got about playing Turnbull and O'Reilly at the same time, is it just slows us down so much mm-hmm. and then it becomes so passive. There's just a, a keeping chasm between McGregor and the defence and then the attacking kind of play. So with Bernardo, I think he adds a lot more uh, technical ability and a lot more kind of help in the midfield than what Turnbull can do. It's now going to be a matter of time for him. He deserves his starts. He deserves to start tomorrow night and he deserves probably to start when we come back from the break. But it's up to him to grasp this and keep going forward. <coughs> because if the apparent buyout is £6 million again, that's mm-hmm. a hefty chunk of, of money for us to spend. And if we're spending £6 million on a player, we need him to be starting 11 quality player, which we need multiples of those because we need quality and depth, but we can't sacrifice six million and have him be a bit part of bench player. He needs to step up. And I think he might. I really think he might now. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting battle in the second part of the season, frankly, with him and Atate. Like Anthony said, mm-hmm. it's up for him now to grasp that and, and take that forward and, and make that start position his own. Also, people were confused saying that the buyout fee was 1.5 million. Turns out that's the loan fee that we paid uh Benfica. I don't think they're going to let a quality player like him go. And if you look at his form and look, I know what you're going to say, Franny, but I read up on it. I didn't watch the games, but I know he's been scoring <laughs> for the Portuguese Portuguese under-21 squad. He plays full 90 minutes for them all the time. He's got an abundance of experience at that level for them, which again is a good national team to be involved in. And for me, it was only a matter of time before we've seen Bernardo grow in that stature and, and that type of player that, that would want the physical presence. And he, for me, there was a lot of times where he broke up the play really well, played the simple pass, I, people confuse him with already. You can actually see that. They're both quite similar in stature. But his goal, a good ball in by Palma from the corner kick, and I thought the first time strike was fantastic. Oh, it wasn't. And like I've said it in the past, even like that you, you touched on it earlier, Bernardo, I, I was, didn't know what he brought to the team. I thought he won back the ball. He wins back the ball well, brilliantly, I think. He, but sometimes I feel it, it just runs about aimlessly like that. Just that like schoolboy football where he's just chasing the ball. But I have said in the past as well, I, 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 it might have been lazy for me, I, I expect more for a guy that's played at the level he's played at with the Portuguese under-21s. He seems to play, in, like you say, every minute, every game for them. seems to score mm-hmm. goals for them. So you're sitting thinking there must be a player in that. And I always felt like he was poor on the ball. But the last couple of games, he's been, been a lot better. Yesterday, uh, Saturday, sorry, uh, he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. He looked a good player. And like Anthony was touching on there, it's, it's on him to now kick on for here, I would start on the morrow as well. I think that's it's the only way the guy's got to get confidence because as much as I was struggling to find out what the guy really brought to the team, you've kind of got to qualify that a bit and say, and that goes for Tumble and home, no so much mm-hmm. of water because he came in laterally. They weren't get that on the team, they were maybe getting one or two games, tops, and then it was somebody else's job. So they couldn't really get that on the team. But I think Anthony was making a great point about how because he has got that wee bit of dig about him, he's got that physicality, it does free up Callum McGregor to just get up the park a bit. Mm. He's, he's a more creative player. You can see the confidence. Like Bernardo should have scored about five minutes before that with that header. That was, yeah. that was He should have scored. And the game could have went either way for him. That he could have just absolutely hid for the game and it totally bypassed him. But fair play to me, he was still getting on the ball. He had a shot where... I feel like maybe he should have went to the other side of Jack Butlin, but he's maybe just tried to keep him the eyes and beat him in the kind of near post. And it was it was a really good strike in fairness to the guy, but I had the goal to... It was... I think if you want... It, it more surprised me we scored for a set piece and when you actually <laughs> watch it, like, I've all, like, like you do after these type of games, you, I thought about it, I watch every bit of highlights that I can find on the games and that. And then 
anytime on Twitter and you flick by something, you end up just watching the videos and stuff. So yeah, I can tell by the amount of stuff you share every day. Like it actually makes a run into the six yard box and just drops back and it's like it actually looks like we worked on a corner and you're like, This is and it was just good for it to go off and it does absolutely amazing just to get over the ball like oh that's all in technique there just to because that could end up in, in those red like but or just clatter off folk but oh, it was absolutely great technique and it just I think just kind of prior that well we 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 had kind of built up a bit of bit of sort of momentum you thought right this is in these games this is where you kind of need to take advantage of it because Rangers and Evelyn will have another likely not have another wee spell so it was good to kind of got off to that and I thought I kind of seen one of the comments there somebody said they thought Palmer was poor I thought Palmer was brilliant and I Who said that I questioned I can't remember I just kind of seen a comment saying he was poor they actually said Greg Taylor was poor as well which is embarrassing to like he was brilliant as well um, but I thought because I kind of questioned whether I would play maybe uh, Palmer on the right to put my head on the left to kind of cover Tavernier but I thought like I touched on the other ta- uh, Palmer's work going backwards was absolutely brilliant. And like I said, the only time he's seen Tavernier was when Mikey Johnson came on. But I, Bernardo, I think, Bernardo's got a chance now to get a run in the team and I think he, he's fully deserving it. 100%. And James, Pat McLaughlin comes in, could have had a first half hat-trick, could Bernardo. And I think that does points to his, his influential performance. And I mean, again, there's a lot of comments, again, Red Scotland uh, among many saying we should sign him up on a permanent deal. Sometimes I believe we jump on the hype bus too too quick with these players. Bernardo's only really showed it over the course of three games. Look, I've always said he looks a good player on this podcast. I definitely have. I've been consistent with that. But I'm also aware to spend six and a half million, seven million euros, you need to be boom, bang on the money that he's going to be in around that team or take someone's position, which I believe, in my opinion, the favourite midfield free, James, is always going to be uh, McGregor, Hatate O'Reilly. If we're going to spend six or seven million euro on a player, I want him to come in and take someone's space. I don't want a, a squad filler. I don't want someone to sit in the bench. So, where, where do you sit on the, the Bernardo debate at the moment that has been raising since the weekend? Uh, well, like, like you're saying, um, I think the new it's probably justified type after the back of the weekend's game. Um, even the Dundee game, I, I know he gets the goal, but I still thought it was largely anonymous. It's not that he's he's a bad player. It's just not that he's particularly standing out. Well obviously prior to the weekend, he hasn't really stood out in anything that he's done, he just kind of tends to like, be there um, but then at the same time the manager probably hasn't helped that because it seems to be names at hat for that position um, while Hitati's been injured, we've seen Holm Turnbull, Bernardo and it's just and obviously a lot as well for a wee spell um, on a rotation but um, no, nah, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be in the sign him up camp just yet um, six million it probably in the grand scale of things in football these days, it isn't a lot of money, but for Celtic, you'll see that as one of our kind of marquee signings. Um, excuse me, sorry. But no, nah, um, hopefully he can kick on for here and keep up that level of performance. But what we were actually speaking about after the game, and when Bernardo was signed in the summer, obviously coming in on loan with the option to make it permanent, it, it, I at least found it a wee bit strange because I think we're quite bloated in that position. We mm. a lot of players that kind of want to do the same thing. Um, I, I've said kind of previously in the last, even going back to last season, I still think McGregor's best football is played going forward. Obviously, Turnbull wants to do that. O'Reilly kind of mixes it up, but still better going forward. So 
what we were actually saying is because he's been brought in on loan with a view to buy, could he potentially be O'Reilly's rep- replacement in the summer? Um, just what you're saying, if you're going to spend that kind of six, seven million, whatever it would be on a um, on a player, you'd want him to walk into the team. So if he keeps up that level of performance, do we then look to sign him in the summer and O'Reilly will be away for 20, 25 million, whatever it will be, and we've got a ready-made replacement there. Um, so I think we'll maybe have a wee have a wee eye on that as well, as provided he keeps up keeps up that level. I mean, that's an interesting. Uh, <clears throat> what else? So I've seen my only thing, not against what James is saying, that it's probably very very likely circumstances uh, about to happen at Celtic because it's how we operate. But if we, as a club, as a football club, want to go forward and progress in Europe, we can't be signing Bernardo as the view to replace a potential outgoing O'Reilly. It has to come in to complement the squad that has O'Reilly in it and see if O'Reilly does go in the summer, which is probably highly likely because he's he's a phenomenal player that's going to be sounded out by many a club. Then we need to take that 20, 25 million and go buy another player that's going to actually step in because we need we can't just have a starting three <coughs> a three trio that could eventually be McGregor, Hitati and Bernardo. We need another one or two at least so that that mm. quality and depth is there because when we go into European competitions, we need that depth because right. every single year we get an injury mm-hmm. here, there and everywhere. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I'd, still, I'd still like to see, I'm, I'm not saying that's a, a settled three, but I just mean in terms of a like-for-like player, I'd still like us, I mean, I know obviously we spoke about it quite a bit, but I'd like us to see uh, to see us sign an out-and-out holding midfielder that doesn't bother about going forward that's just going to sit there. And I think him with mm-hmm. McGregor and Hitati, O'Reilly, Bernardo, whoever it would be, I think that would be, be a great midfield because they all can mm-hmm. kind of mix it up. Well, I think we, we are crying out for the physicality, Franny, but but before we talk about potential transfers and stuff, and this great point by James Naffy in regards to looking out for that O'Reilly thing, because I didn't even think about that, but I do mm-hmm. agree with Anthony ultimately that we should be bringing players in to complement that and make that better and keep the likes of them players like O'Reilly around to, to build on foundations and be stronger for the future, especially that old cliche for European football. But let's talk about the, the two players that were with Bernardo Franny in the midfield and particularly Cal McGregor, who I thought, in my opinion, had the best game of the season. Up there with the Ibrox game, probably even better. I thought he was so influential. And the, uh, they were up against uh, Campwell, uh, Sterling, and the stir, the Sturry Eye man, uh, Lunny or Lunster, whatever, whatever they call him, the Ballon d'Or winner. But particularly Cal McGregor and the job he done in Todd Campwell, I thought he had him in his back pocket the, the whole game. He had him riled up. It was like Brownie when he used to do it with Morelos. He used to get in his head, and I just thought... Cantwell was lost. Their, their golden boy, their, their TikTok extraordinaire, was head was gone by the time he came off the pitch. And it looks like him and uh, Clement are having issues because apparently there's a bit of friction there. But I thought Cal McGregor was fantastic. And the job he'd done defensively and going forward, he was he was immense. It was kind of the same, like he's touching the same Nybrook's game. I think it was me and yourself that was on after that as well. And we both said it was no it's no surprise that we played well in Callum McGregor. Well, no surprise that Callum McGregor played well. So we played well. I think he just once we once he kind of dictates a game, um we, we tend to play well and it was one of the ones he, he just didn't give Callum McGregor the freedom. And I, I think Clement tried to put Cantwell on him and it was just the, the absolute wrong play to put on him. He should probably put that Sterling or Lundstrom on him because there's probably two guys that are probably sitting there going, I didn't care if I'm like the main man, I, I don't care if I'm seen in the game. Whereas Cantwell, I think 
wants to have moments in the game, wants to be involved, wants to... He needs the videos, man. Uh, he wants that. Well, that's it. He wants a highlight reel where a, a Lundstrom and probably do that Sterling boy didn't care about that. So they would have probably been better to put on McGregor and just nullify him. But I thought like Campbell did him up, but it just was never close enough to him. And there was there was one bit as well where you see uh, McGregor's actually shielding the ball pretty well for him, and he's just kicking it. And he's, the referees gave a foul, and he's still trying to get the ball off. And you can actually see Carl McGregor just laughing at him. It's just. I, I had him. I had him in absolute in his back pocket and knew how to wind him up. Like I say, just he wants to get involved too much. Campbell. I think he's. I think he's a player that is. Ross is is he's the new natural novel, but I think he's the new natural novel. But with the sort of the attitude, Morelos in the sense that when things are going well, he's brilliant. But when things are going against him, I don't think he's got the mentality for it. He's trying. To, I think he plays to the gallery and it it goes against the boy. Um, but no, come back to McGregor. I thought absolutely brilliant. Done, picked the ball up in so many good areas, driving, just dictating the speed of the game. And like I say, Stephen, it's when we when Carl McGregor plays well, we tend to play well. And it was just it amazed me again that they they gave them the freedom. Of, well, obviously it was Parkhead this time, but just given <laughs> given the freedom to do what he wanted. But at the same time, he he chose to do what he was want a lot of the time and stuff. I just thought if you've got to put some done, then I put Todd Cantwell on. Oh, it was embarrassing for, for Todd Cadwell Anthony and mm-hmm. I know it would make a joke and a laugh out of him and to be fair Cal McGregor his form hasn't been the best this season and no players are mean for criticism but I think we have to praise him to the highest that I mean his performance in that Glasgow derby you said he had the freedom of Park Eddie the freedom of Glasgow he, he just mm-hmm. bossed that game in, in, in its entirety and I loved his wee speech at the end of the game when he went to I think it was number seven sweep talking about obviously a lot of lip service they haven't played anyone yet but just to go up there and receive the award and and things like that i think it's just fantastic for the captain of the club to do and for me anyway you mentioned compliment and bernardo does that with o'reilly and does that with calmack i thought calmack had the license to do whatever he wanted that influence the game how he saw fit play the long ball play the short pass break up the play get forward and be at the edge of the box where he scored so many goals for us in the past and i just think for a total performance from a midfield player it's up where we're the best i've seen this season from a celtic player Definitely. Um, and overall, it was a really good game for the, for the squad, I think. But Cal, Cal Mack had arguably his best game of the season so far, which isn't hard because it's not been a great season. And he certainly had much better games throughout his career for us, but it's nice to see him get that freedom. And we've all talked about this on the podcast for, for months now, if not for a couple of years. You need to give Cal Mack that freedom. You can't pulling back. He's not a defensive midfielder. He does a job adequately, of course, because he's a, a leader and a captain and he's he's a model professional, but you want to play your best players at the best position they can and get the best out of them, then you need to put McCann McGregor into that little bit of freedom. As I said earlier, I think playing Bernardo, it's maybe not perfect. It's maybe not what we're used to when you look at what Hattati can do when he's playing beside him. But uh, Bernardo coming back allows yeah. um, to go forward a little bit and into that bit of space. And if they're going to be daft enough to have Cantwell man-mark McGregor, McGregor's going to run rings around him all day long. But at the same time, if we're going to give him the freedom to be able to go forward and back at the same time, then it's, it's easy pickets for Cal McGregor all day long in that game. Yeah. And see, to be fair as well, James, you mentioned that the, the long ball tactic the Rangers deployed. Um, again, they're a possession-based team. We see that's a weekend week out in even European football. And it does show the lack of confidence they had in their midfield trio coming up against ours, that they bypassed that continuously because they didn't want to get involved in that battle. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but San Fran Celtic comes in. 
it's kind of a two prong. Is Callum better than Brownie? Or I'll rephrase that. Who would you rather have in the team? Because obviously two different rules essentially towards the end of Brownie's career. So who would you rather have? And then again, like the confidence issue there with Emmons coming up against our midfield, they totally bypass it. And I think that speaks volumes that how, how could we were in the day. If I'm being totally honest, I, I think that's an easy choice. If to be perfectly honest, I think it's Scott Brown is head and shoulders the better the better of the two of them. Um not a slight McGregor at all, he's obviously fantastic. But I, I've been quick to get on McGregor's back, even for the kind of tail end of last season, as McGinty will tell you, or Anthony's are calling him these days. Sorry, I'm not getting used to that. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I've been quick to get on his back, um, getting back to last season. Uh, I've been screaming for him to, for us to get a holding midfielder in so he can play um, one further on. And as much as I kind of, no abuse, but as much as I've criticised him, I've got to give him every bit of praise for the weekend there because I thought he was head and shoulders the best player in the park. And we've already discussed how good Bernardo was. And I thought O'Reilly was really good as well. But still, I think Callum McGregor was levels above. Um, but interestingly, what I'm saying earlier um, in terms of the, the European thing, I think our European performances have arguably been the, the best performances we've had this season, the most complete. In those European games, I think our kind of big problem in that is Callum McGregor playing that holding role. Mm. So um, that's why when we were talking about Bernardo earlier, that's why I'd still like us to get that physical presence in there. Um, obviously, that was what Scott Brown done in the Champions League as well. And I don't think Callum McGregor, I guess he's not at that level yet, but I don't even think that's what it is. I just think he's a totally different type of player to what Scott Brown was. Um, so I'd definitely see Scott Brown um, out of two of them was the, the better. Well, I mean, Franny, do you agree with that? It's, it's hard to argue against it, but I would... I've seen your face. I've seen your face when you said I would, tend to, I would tend to go with it, Scott, just, but it's hard because, like James has said there, they're two different football players, even probably for the, the best part of their career. I mean, Scott Brown, obviously, at Hibs was kind of... Box to box and stuff, and he's always been high energy. Where and McGregor kind of started as well, I think it was a winger and stuff, and then kind of came into the ten and kind of sort of found himself going further back. So maybe laterally they were playing similar roles, but I mean, as a what they've done at Celtic, I, I think you would have to pick Brown in that sense if you're basing them on what they've achieved at Celtic, what they've done for Celtic with Brown. But if I'm just saying looking at the football. I'm I'm with Red Scotland every day of the week. I think I think Carl McGregor is probably not within the Celtic fan base, but maybe outside it, I think he's highly underrated. I think he's a absolute top top level football player. I think he's absolutely like just absolutely brilliant. I know I'm a glory hunter with the Scottish football, Stephen, but I like I think even then when you see him on the national level, I, I think he's absolutely superb. I would. I would pick, if I had to pick two of them, I would pick uh, Carl McGregor, but it would simply based on as a football. But if you're basing them on their Celtic achievements, you, I kind of see an argument against going with Scott Brown. Red Scotland comes in, Anthony. Bernie was a different type of leader and equally as effective, but at football, Carl Mack is untouchable. The guy could play for Real Madrid. Now, I've seen that like, a comments in here, and even from Rogers himself, saying that he's on a different level. He tried to take him to England, but it didn't happen, which, again, is great for us. We're, we're benefiting that from, from, from now. Where do you stand on it? I mean, for me, personally, I would go... Uh, 
Like I would probably go with Callum McGregor more from a footballing sense. I love Scott Brown and, and what he's done for the club and captain leader legend. That will always be with him. That will be his, his, his iconic tag at, at Celtic Park. But for me, Calmax does football and ability, football and brain. He's levels above. And I thought he showed that again on, on uh, Saturday. He's the best player when he's on form in the country by a mile. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with either of those points. He, football technically and football minded is probably a lot better than Scott Brown. Scott Brown, when he first came to Celtic from Hibs, he was playing in a, a kind of modern midfield three. He was running out to the, the right channel a little bit more. He was a lot more attacking-minded than he was, as Farry says, in his latter days. Same with Callum McGregor, obviously, coming back from the, the number 10 kind of position. I would say that I'm in agreement with Barry's that football-wise, it's Callum McGregor. Achievement-wise, and what they've done for Celtic, Scott Brown probably edges it. Well, that has to be that achievement, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to throw in a little question just to wonder this actually. We talk about Scott Brown and you know Captain Leader and all the rest of it. Um, how many medals he won as a captain, phenomenal. But how many medals did Carl McGregor win side by side with him as a vice yeah. captain at some times and just playing in that same midfield? He must be up there with near enough the same amount of trophy hauls and winner medals because yeah. he's been at the club for a decade plus now. So has he achieved as much as Cal McGregor as a captain? No, not yet. But he's achieved probably equally as much, I would think, as a Celtic player. So it's, it's a nice yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Two great players that, that we have and still have in the ranks. Obviously, Bernie is a manager tonight. But again, James, big Stephen Wells came in at centre half. And I thought for me personally, I thought he'd done fantastically well until he got that injury from a poor back pass from Johnston, who I thought was terrible. On, on the day, I, d- I don't know what he does. Look like he lacked energy. He does. He does. I don't know. A bit clumsy at times. Hopefully, he gets his form back after the break, and even in t- to tomorrow's night game at, at the Paisley. But one guy who came in was Narovsky. Came in out of the cold. The Larga belt was ahead of him. Champions League squad, obviously, because he couldn't be on it. Scored, dropped. Then it was Welsh injured. Naraki gets his chance, and apart from the first maybe five to ten minutes when he was getting the, the kind of feel of the game and giving the ball away. I thought he'd done fantastically well alongside skills. I thought them two were absolutely immense. And I know I was advocating for Narossi to come in for skills. Look, at the end of the day, Narossi got his chance. And I thought for me, he performed fantastically well. Someone coming out, playing a game for the first time since the start of the season when he featured. And then he just dropped off, obviously, with that injury. And he's been in and out in terms of training ever since that. Rogers has confirmed that he'd be a vital player for the, ne- the next part of the season. So the rumours about him leaving, or he wasn't fancy, I think they're all totally squashed now. But what, what was the what do you think his impact was and also skills beside him? I thought they were absolutely immense. I I mean obviously as we were talking about after the quiz, like we we both kind of wanted to see him because we didn't want to write him off because you didn't know what what he had to offer and granted the very very little that we had seen him, um, he looked really good and as we were saying, we've spent was it five million on this guy and that's a that's a hefty chunk for us to, to throw down in a player, especially quite a young player as well. So I, I don't think there was any chance he was ever just going to be, be written off. I, I, you could probably argue he's been unlucky um, with the, the obviously the injury, but also with the, the form that Scales has shown. Um, I know you were saying you were you're looking to see Scales maybe take a wee spell of the bench, but I, I was saying that I'd maybe move him to left back, but that's made a kind of slight on Greg Taylor's form this year um, and slide Navrotsky in there. But as you say, when he came on, a couple of wee maybe kind of shaky moments, which is to be expected coming into, um, coming into that game at that time as well. Um, obviously, no really having kicked a ball this season. 
But after that kind of first couple of shaky moments, I thought he absolutely strolled it. Um, it's him that plays the the pass into Riley as well, and he done it uh, for Kyogo's goal, but he done it a couple of times where he was kind of threading the eye of the needle. It looked, probably looked dodgy. But it did on pulling, the TV. But <laughs> if he's pulling the passes off, though, you, you can't really complain. If, he, if he's getting it away and it results in a chance or a goal or whatever, then obviously you can have free range at him then. But if he's pulling it off, then aye, fair play. And it'll be interesting to see kind of moving forward now. Um, I don't know what the script is with Welsh. Obviously, I know we're going into the winter break as well. But if Welsh has mm. popped his shoulder, um, it's maybe going to be... I don't know, is it 46 weeks or so usually for that? Mm-hmm. Um, so if he's coming back after the winter break, it will be interesting to see if Navrotsky will um, maybe keep his place, if we see Scales come out, or Carter Vickers. So maybe, you would assume Carter Vickers obviously walks right back into the team, but it's, it is oh, yeah. for thought because he was excellent. And like we were saying, like, we're not just going to write a £5 million within a, a six-month spell when he's when he's not really kicked a ball. And... Uh, Aye, uh, I'm actually looking forward to seeing Miriam. I think he could be really, really good, and he, he's that bit of physicality that I think we've been missing as well. Yeah, I thought his tackles. I thought he was tough in the tackle. He was trying to nip in front. He was anticipating play. Obviously, that will get better in time, Franny, when he gets more match fitness and involved in 90 minute games. And look, I feel I feel like you're going to say to me, "I throw enough shit against the wall and it sticks." That's fair enough. I do throw that shit against the wall and hopefully something sticks. But I've always said it. Narosky should get a chance, and by again by an injury crisis with Welsh going off, like Scales, he got his opportunity that way. Maybe Narosky's going to take that chance and move <laughs> forward with it. And I thought it was quite telling. Obviously, we've been led to believe attitude issues with Largy Belka and Narosky was mentioned in them comments. Then Rogers come out in his post match saying that he's going to be a vital player for the next part of the season. He's not out of his plans. It just seems like he was unlucky with injuries and being out of the Champions League squad. And you have to say, from what we've seen of him. His passing, by the way, his range of passing, I thought was absolutely fantastic. He was so composed. And I just thought, I mean, serial dessers, he's no world-class striker. He's, he's, I don't know how to describe him, but he, he coped with him really well, like Scales. And again, I'll, I'll give it to Scales. I thought he was absolutely just a rock-solid unit on Saturday against them, again. Liam uh, Scales, again, just... Guys, guys just keeps on turning up. Eh? He's just he's turned into Prime World, didn't he? And we've said it plenty of times. It's mad just how how well the guys did and, and fair play him because myself, probably a lot of Celtic fans had him out the door at the in the summer, just never seen a future for him at Celtic. But uh, you've got to tip, you've got to tip your hat to the guys. He's proved a lot of folk wrong, and and I put myself in that category. And you can only be happy for the boy at the end of the day. But uh, as for Narofka, I've never ever. Doubted the boy, Stephen. I know you were saying, I just felt you were just saying, I just put him in just because I've spent this money on him. It was like, well, you need to, he's a wee bit more than just because I've spent money on him. Oh, I get that. that I get that. I mean, we've we've had our, our sort of fingers burnt way back. I mean, how many times did we stick by him, Stephen? <laughs> he was terrible. We were I, just still him. Him. I still want him. I still want him. for him, Stephen. We're long for him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... And I'm pretty confident at the start of the season, I know Naroki didn't play many matches, but when I did see him, I felt there was a bit of a player there. You could see you could see they looked a good a good player and um but at the same time you've got to, he probably had a couple of mistakes, but then he's kinda of got to go he's twenty one year old. Similar to Bernardo, would you actually forget how young some of these boys mm-hmm. are and stuff? Um but I when he came on, it's I mean just like the touch on Stephen Welsh, it's a credit to Stephen Welsh 
certainly myself, I was sitting thinking, oh no, we're going to have to put up with Naroki here. And it's simply down to the fact that the guy had to play football for three or four months. So you're sitting thinking, but Stephen Welsh had came in and was was really good, had been really good. So you're sitting thinking, going, oh no, we've got to kind of put in a, a centre half that's not played for a while. And the, the whole Champions League squad, I'm not reading too much into that. The, the guy got injured and I think he was rumoured to be out for four to five months. So you've not, yeah. not got to register him for the Champions League squad. So he was, Brendan Rogers was probably looking at him when he's actually fit. Uh, for the domestic games going, but what's the point of me putting him in the team if I can't play him midweek in the Champions League? I may as well have them Nat Phillips and, and Lager Belkis and Stephen Welsh is in there. Um, but no, well, when he came on, I think there was one ball there the top to McCausland where just maybe a bit of communication. I know it was kind of Greg Taylor's side, but I think everybody had stepped up apart from Lager Belka. I think he paid them on side. Um, he did have some dodgy passing in the first half and stuff, but can put that down to absolute like the rustness, like we said, he's not played a lot of football uh, this season. But second half, I mean, defending in the first half, I thought he was really good. And then second half, it just obviously maybe got in at half time. The team maybe settled them down, Rogers maybe had a wee word to him, settled them down and stuff. Um, like I say, you've got to take out of consideration again the guy's only 21 year old and stuff, just probably wasn't thinking he was got to get on unless we're maybe trying to hang on to something. You, you chuck a defender on with five, ten minutes to go just to get mm. another body. At the back and stuff, um, but I thought he absolutely, I thought he absolutely strolled the game up. I, I, it's, and it is a good position. Like I know, obviously the rumours were that he's maybe got to go in January down to attitude, but I think he's maybe. You know, Rogers has kind of came out and said that he's got to play a big part and stuff. So, and like James, he, he, I know we kind of maybe say like five millions, two thousand, uh, the year two thousand money, but it's still a lot of money that we spent for a boy. Mm-hmm. Only just got to chuck that out, like just chuck that aside. I mean, it's maybe a ruthless thing to do, and what big clubs do is just chuck buys like that to, to the wayside that I'm not contributing. But I'm, I'm really excited to see what it can do, and it'll, it'll be interesting. It's, it's a good headache to have that the fact that, as we say, CCVs are the, the main man, Scales is turned up. You don't know how long Welsh has got to be out for. As I say, he's he's filled in and, and actually been decent again, and then you've got Narofka sitting there. And Lager Belk, I just, I just don't think Rogers fancies him to be, to be honest. It's a strange situation with Lager Belk as well. To be fair, Anthony, and I mean by the looks of it, we don't have to deal with Nat Phillips anymore. I think his bags are packed mm-hmm. and he's way back down the Anfield. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Um, but I mean the core at the moment: Carter Vickers, Scales, Skills, Welsh, and Naroski is what it seems to be. Kobayashi is going to be out the door, and probably a the other Deadwood as well. Boson Lawwell, he's on loan to Fleetwood still, so his loan doesn't run out the summertime. But there's a rumour going around today that it's kind of cuts and pace. It's Scott McKenna. Again, it's a fellow who's linked with us every transfer window, it seems a bit like when Chase McCarthy was first mentioned, it took years to get over the line, and now he just sits in the house and picks up a good wage. I mean, for me, if I'm looking at Naroski coming in, and again, it's one game, but the form he's shown, if I'm looking at Liam Scales, the form he's shown, Carter Vickers hopefully will be back at the end of January, and Stephen Welsh, his recovery hopefully won't be too long. That's a good base for me of centre-halves. And you're cutting away the likes of Phillips and Kobayashi. For me, Scott McKenna would not get into the team as a first pick. For me, again, Scott McKenna, watched him a few times for Forrest down in the English Premier League. Only a match of the day, to be fair, because I don't really watch full games. But he looks slow. He looks laboured. He looks clumsy. A bit like the Scottish version of Harry Maguire, in my opinion. So I have no idea why we're linked with him. I have no idea what he would add to us apart from he played in Scotland before and knows the, the league. But 
for me, he's not the type of guy we should be going after, especially with the likes of Narosky back in the team. 100%, Stephen, 100%. And I'll go back to the Bernardo conversation for, for my mindset of it. Is he going to be improving the starting lineup? No. So what's the point? No. He's not better than Carter Vickers. And if Carter Vickers was to leave in the next year or two, we need to find that equivalent at least. Is he better than Scales and Navrosky just now, from what we understand of the Bulls too? Nope. So he's fourth choice at best. He's fighting mm-hmm. it out with Stephen Welsh. I don't see it. And I'd rather give Welsh the time. I think Welsh is a tidy enough player. He's <clears throat> He made his debut late as far as development is concerned. I think he was 19 going on 20 when he made his debut rather than that kind of 18-year-old kind of mark. I'd rather give him some more time um, than fixate on Scott McKenna. McKenna's clumsy as hell, as he said. I, I always remember that time was against Odson Edward when he came in, scissors, tackled oh, him. Oh, remember? <laughs> absolute mental kind of challenges on the edge of the box. He does that for Celtic. He's giving away penalties. Even if it is yep. outside the box against them, they're going to give him a penalty for that. Um, he's clumsy. He's not very technically good, in my opinion. I know people say he plays well for Scotland and shit like that, but he's fourth he? choice. He's fourth choice at best. He doesn't improve the starting lineup. No, it's a no for me. They wanted ten million pounds from him what four or five years ago. He's no worth yeah. one point five. Apparently, it might take to get him in today rather than at the end of the year. Um, just no. Um, go back to your you know Roski conversation as well. This was the first signing we made in the summer that everybody kind of agreed was Rogers' oh, first oh. true signing. You obviously yeah. had your Yangs and your Tilios and Odin coming in as well, and everybody says that's from the Angie era, that's from the, the previous scouting we were linked last January and stuff. You don't spend that money on the Rosky, claim that it's Rogers' first big kind of his choice in a signing, who I think he was linked with him at Leicester as well at some point, and then expect him to be written off while he's injured. We did the same with Hitati um, before he signed a new contract with us. Everybody forgot Hitati was injured. And assumed that he wasn't playing because he had a bad attitude because he wasn't signing a new contract. He was fucking injured. There was nothing for him to do. And then all of a sudden he signed a new contract and I was like, ah, okay, then fair enough. And the Roski's kind of the same situation. He's fucking injured. There's nothing he can do. So why we're all thinking that he's on the way out is, is baffling. It's refreshing to see Roger's comments that he's, he hopes he's going to play a big part in the second half of the season because that's what you want to see. You want to see your manager believe in the players that he's bringing in. If nothing else, it also puts to bed surely Scott McKenna conversation because why are we bringing him in to be fourth choice? We need better. Yeah. Would any of you take Scott McKenna, Franny, James? Nah, pretty much just for what Anthony said. I don't think the boy's a bad player, but I don't think he improves as much. I I don't think he improves as not even much. I just don't think he improves the team. As Alistair Jack says as well, the only positive I think that MD would take for it is that he he would fit the homegrown quota, but we've seen kind of slow, cumbersome, clumsy centre-backs like Shane Duffy and Nat Phillips, obviously, this year. So that's everything that you would associate with with McKenna. So, nah, it doesn't date for me. And surely if you've got to go for the quota, sorry, sorry, Anthony, we're all agreeing Stephen Mills probably can do a job. He's Mm -hmm. part of the quota. Um, you've got CCV providing he's, he stays, providing he stays obviously that's hypotheticals are speaking Scales looks like, I don't know if Scales come under the quota, I don't think he does but nonetheless he's he's, he's very reliable and Narofka looks like a player if we're kind of just what it takes somebody for the quota, could we not look at the youth setup and go well, 
But exactly. If you've got, got a fifth choice for them, they didn't need to be a superstar. Mm. Exactly, Franny. And that's something that bugs me. I see this on the message boards all the time that, oh, he'll fit the quota of the reason why we kept Forrest on for another season or so was, and this is no disrespect to Forrest. I think Forrest has been a, a quality player for Celtic throughout his time and he deserves to see out his career here if that's what he wants to do. <laughs> but it's all this, oh, it fits a quota, it fits a quota. I don't understand this perception of this European quota. I think people fixate on it too much and they look at it the wrong way. The quota isn't that we must have these players in or we can't have anybody else. It's, you have to have eight national team-based players four through your club between the age of, was it 15 and 21 or whatever it is, three years mm-hmm. and all the rest. Basically, four from your club, four from your homegrown. If everybody's played football manager, you know what that is. If you don't have all eight, you've only got seven. Your 25-man squad doesn't suddenly become void. You just only have 24. You will still always have 17 foreign players. You just only have seven domestic ones. Five domestic ones. you still got 17 of the other ones. And if you really struggle, as you say, Franny, it's fourth choice and fifth choice centre-backs. Look at the youth team. Step one up. I know we've got a B squad that can say as long as your arm wants to be sort of thing. But look to that side. Why why sign Scott McKenna on 20 grand a week, whatever, and wasting wages mm-hmm. when he's not actually going to do fuck all for us? No offense, Scott McKenna. All the offense is taken. <laughs> <laughs> but James, let's have a bit of crack here, right? Obviously, within the game, there was a lot of flashpoints. And the first one, it kind of cropped up. Look, if I got the time of, of events wrong, I do apologize. But the first one we're starting with. And that's the, the penalty kick incident that the Rangers have had a complete meltdown over. Uh, Twitter has gone crazy. Every social media platform is just awash with people going absolutely tonto, as you Scottish people would say, about this decision. Now, a decision, at the end of the day, look, it might have been a penalty kick. It should maybe should have been a penalty kick. It should have been awarded. But at the end of the day, no, but if I'm, I'm coming to that. I mean, if you're, I'm coming to that. But at the end of the day, it was offside. It would have got checked, and Bobby Madden, of all people, has come out and made a statement about this on his Instagram and probably lost a few uh, season books and a few friends along the way doing this, but what, what he called the attacking phase of play would have been checked. Seema was offside by a foot. The, the penalty kick, in, in my opinion, that was on Ref Watch today, I believe, or there was some guy before commenting on it, saying it shouldn't have been a penalty anyway, but it would have been extremely harsh. That Johnson is just trying to battle with the, the player and, and, and move his body in certain positions. This has caused mayhem. Statement FC is back in force. They wanted to meet with SFA officials. They said no because it's bank holiday weekend, and they're complaining. I've seen comments about get lawyered up, Rangers. I mean, lawyers and Rangers, come on. Do you know? That, that's, that's incredible in, in a sense. In this. But what have what you made of the meltdown and also the kind of the spillage of events since that. I don't know what you're talking about. No, ever seen anything about that? Nah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you look at the incident, like you're saying on its own, in terms of the Johnson thing, it's a hound boy punches a boy. It's undeniable. At the game where I was sitting, I'm pretty much as far away as I can be for the incident. So I didn't really know. And then when it goes back for uh, the goal kick. Um, when it comes up on the screen, nobody really knew, so your heart was kind of in your mouth a wee bit because obviously we, you didn't have the benefit of seeing the replays and things like that. So uh, that that incident on its own, a million percent, it's a penalty. But as you say, it's offside, so it doesn't matter. Now, 
I might go against the green here, but I'll be careful how I word this because to an extent, Please. I agree with the angle. Right, that's probably too positive, but th- there is definitely a discussion. I've said before when VR was introduced, I'll tell you my take first. I, that's it. I'll put my shovel away and I'll tell you what put I Put your, put your shovel back, back there. So, so with VR, I have said since it came in, I do not think there is any reason whatsoever why it can't be like rugby. When the referee has got somebody in his ear and he says, look, there's an incident there, come out of the screen and have a look at it. Or if there's a review, whatever it would be, I don't see any reason why the telly and the people in the stadium cannot hear that conversation. Instantly, that takes away any conspiracy theory stuff whatever way you're looking at it just takes away look if a referee gets a decision wrong and it's the wrong decision fair enough but see when it's all this conspiracy stuff and the the thing the, the thing for the rangers the, <laughs> the thing for the rangers statement though which i find utterly laughable is that they, they've put out this statement where for three quarters of it it's a conspiracy and they're playing the victim but then in the last paragraph, they say, but the decision was ultimately correct. Now, see if they'd released a statement saying, look, there was obviously a lot of confusion there. As I say, I, I was at the game, so I didn't see the the, telly's own, uh, the pictures on the telly. See if that offside decision hasn't been portrayed to Sky until half an hour later. 100% there is a conversation to be had surrounding VAR, no surrounding that one incident. Because as the IFAB rules state, as celebrity referee Bobby Madden has said, it's not a penalty. <laughs> it's it's not a penalty. So the decision is right. So the angle that Rangers is taking and throwing out all this conspiracy stuff and just trying to portray themselves as the victim, when even they themselves have said that the decision is correct, you're totally dismantling your own argument just for the angle that you've took at it. If they'd put a statement out saying, we think there should be a wee bit more... Um, clarity surrounded VAR. We think we should be able to hear a conversation, be it at the time or after the game. I, mean, I, I would agree with that. I think it would be hard not to disagree with it. But the angle that they've took where they've said, uh, uh, fucking look at this guy, man. I punched it out of the part and then he's just not... Do you know what I mean? And then at the end, it's uh, but the decision was right anyway. So, uh, as I say, I don't agree with the statement because I think they've went about it the complete wrong way and I think it's been hilarious the meltdown that's came for it. I mean this is a team that's on for a world record the more night uh, uh not having a penalty against them. Seventy four so, games is it? Seventy four right, so surely that in itself takes away all this conspiracy chat. I mean we've seen some of the decisions that VR's had against us, but I, I think there is a, a discussion to be had about VAR. But I just think the way they've went about it is absolutely grim. It's just yeah. so, so, so stupid. Um, I mean, if you're going to play the victim and play this pure paranoid mess, at least do it properly. Don't be a paranoid mess and then at the end go, I bet you were spot on, no? So, <laughs> aye. There is a discussion to be had, but just the way they've went about it is laughable. Anthony, I think James makes a great point. The, the conversation in the whole about VAR needs to happen. But what I think quite ironic is they're, they're playing the victim. Their fans are crying conspiracy theories. This is a team who hasn't conceded the penalty kick against them in, in, in 74 league matches, which James said might be a record in the coming days if things stay the same. This is a team who benefit from, I can see, that every major VAR decision 
within a game that they're they're involved in. The reason why they didn't benefit from this decision is because at the end of the day, the clowns who actually run the VAR got it right, maybe mistakenly so, but they've done their job right in this occasion, and the penalty kick wasn't awarded. I do agree the miscommunication and, and the offside, and I mean it was funny watching Chris Boyd do his rant in, in the Sky Sports Studio. I have to admit that was that was top quality viewing if anyone's seen that at half time. But I think this whole thing is shambolic. Every time they play us or they're involved in a match where things don't go their way, they put out a statement. They're asking for audio to be released. They're asking for matches to be replayed. They're asking for everything because at the end of the day, we're on the boat with our fourth and fifth choice centre half. We're still beating them. They were on the best run of form. We were stopping. We were labouring. We still pulled off the victory. And I, just for me, I just think they're purely bad losers. I think it's, uh, I was reading somebody online earlier, well, I think it might be somewhat accurate. It's a deflection tactic, isn't it? When you think about all the media hype and the attention that they were getting about this kind of, how many penalties they get in their favour, let alone the ones that they don't get, it was almost like VAR had some sort of, fuck, we can't give them too soft a penalty, right? We will not give them that one. And then later on they realised, oh, fuck, we actually did get it right. And oh look, here's the lines <laughs> like half an hour later. It baffles me that VAR is so fucking slow in Scotland. But you look at La Liga and the EPL and stuff, they'll show you that that's offside within about three minutes, if not less. Yet we were like half an hour later before we saw the off light offside lines. Why is it taking that long? And that's happened a few times in Celtic games where we see the lines far too late in the game. Just to confirm, almost as if somebody sat there for 20 minutes trying to figure this one out and look for something to say, oh, fuck, we did get it right. Now, the conspiracy in me wants to say that they're deflected and all the rest of it, and I want to agree with that in my own self because the bigger call was David Turnbull's fucking penalty claim, which was onside, and it is a shove in the back, and it is a fucking penalty. Yet, as James says, they're putting out this statement, and at the end of it going, I but you've got it right. But you aren't standing up for the moral high ground and the fucking ethical respect of VAR and saying, oh, by the way, there was a penalty claim for Celtic as well. Where's the statement for that? Are you against VAR? Are you for it? Are you just upset because you got fucked once again by Celtic and Brendan Rodgers? More than likely. That, 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 I, uh, can I just jump in there? Sorry. That, that is that. my point in a nutshell. They, they've looked at, obviously as they would, but they've looked at it based on that one incident. Um, we are I mean, we've seen the 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 mother rule penalty or non penalty, the the mother rule non penalty the week before. <laughs> mother rule could have put out a statement. We could have put out a statement about the Turnbull thing. It's just a dangerous precedent to say if you're going to do this for every incident that goes against you. So why not make the conversation in whole about VR and how it can be improved? Why try and play this paranoid victim? Do you know what I mean? So make the discussion about VR. I, I, it'd be hard to disagree, but just don't go playing the victim when you're admitting that you're not a victim, really. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, this is a, a cracker. I think this is a cracker by Pat McGlavin. You've got me in the can, Sam Rangers. So get goes because he doesn't like the rules. That that, that was for, that was for the Ibrox game. That was for yeah, that's, that's the, the that's the level of punditry that we have for in Scotland. Obviously, I'm based in Ireland, but yeah, did, it's did mad. You see him calling the, it, uh, the Glasgow Derby yesterday. Yeah, uh, sports scene and gone. Uh, Incredible. The, the, the old firm derby. Is that the Neil McCann who a decade decade ago or so held onto the rule book at the side of the pitch <laughs> and started demanding that we should follow the fucking rules? 
The same Neil McCann. That's an incredible. Is that right? Mate, come come on. (laughs) (laughs) But Franny, if I I merged the the two incidents together, I was going to come on to the Turnbull later on, but uh, Anthony brought up that fair enough. But for me, that should have been that should have been a penalty kick. He was onside. He was clean through and goal. He was pushed from behind. Contact was made. You look at the Seema thing. Again, it was offside. And I think James is bang on. He can't have one statement saying one thing and then not mention the other thing that was blatantly obvious. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, that would have been more of an uproar if we drew the game or we actually lost the game. I think, obviously, we would have probably said something about that. But at the end of the day, you have to treat things equally. You have to be transparent. And at the end, I think as well, that on this podcast and on many other podcasts, any Celtic supporter I speak to, we want the game refereed fairly, not for one team to be favoured more or a team to be favoured less. Split down the middle, make it transparent, and then you avoid all this shit. I know, totally, Stephen. Like, the, I mean, first up, the meltdown has been absolutely superb, absolutely superb. Um, but I mean, this might be my sort of last appearance for a wee while. We've got to say so, and a wee bit. I can understand Rangers' annoyance about the the penalty because I'm, I'm a James your last appearance. Am I missing <laughs> something? <laughs> I think it was a penalty as well, but I'm maybe saying that because we've won it. It's easy to say it when you've you've won, but I do think it was a penalty. But I think what has actually happened, I might I might be way wrong about this, but I think obviously the penalty wasn't given, and I think VR agreed that it wasn't a penalty. So the offside is technically irrelevant at that point. Hence why we take mm-hmm. a by kick and on an indirect free kick. So I think that's where maybe Rangers are getting annoyed, which and then suddenly all this focus is on offside, and I'm like, well. A wee bit of me understands what your point is, but at the same time, they got the right decision. They just got it right. They got they got the right decision inevitably, but they got it in the wrong way about because they've said it wasn't a penalty for the handball when probably was. But if obviously if they then if Far then went and said, oh by the way that's a handball, they'd have then like if you watch like you said Stephen you watched that ref watch on Sky Sports News, they'd have then had to look at the attacking phase of play and would have seen it was offside. So they'd have ruled it offside anyway. So it was a it was a non-event, so to an extent, I can understand where they maybe got annoyed with that. It's, they've gave the wrong decision. They've gave the right decision for the wrong wrong reason. But, but see, at the same time, though, I, I, I agree with that. As I say, I, I think there's a conversation to be had about VR, but I just think it's an absolute brass neck to put out a statement. Mm-hmm. And I know everybody says, oh, it's, it, oh, their support will say it looks like sewer grapes because they get bet. But, but that is exactly what it is, because, I mean, we've seen it uh, last season with the handballs was at Burnley Bay and O'Reilly and then we had the offside at Fur Park where they used the CCTV mm-hmm. at Bulls train station I think to judge it was uh-huh. offside so we never put there was there was no kind of mention of that do you know what I mean but that this has been the totally Motherwell was a perfect awesome. opportunity to go, to go at it as well because they, they initially said the camera wasn't working the one that was made but mm-hmm. then suddenly suddenly it was oh no it was focused on the bench so it was like so the camera that was meant to be looking at offside wasn't looking at offside. Mm-hmm. That was a perfect opportunity to chase the Motherwell one. But I like I welcome the, the audio for VR, but you can't just have it for one decision. Exactly. You've got to, okay, you've got to, you've got to make it universal. Let's let's go it's got to be every time and then you can't just have it on Saturday's decision. And like James has said, the facts succeed at the end of it. But I agree it was right. But I the tumble one at the time I thought it was it was offside and stuff and I thought the flag went up a lot earlier. Than it did, so I thought, well, my understanding of the way VAR would work, because the linesman's put his flag up before the foul, or 
uh, put his flag up at the time, and maybe the indirect free kick's been given, it should it, you can't really then sort of uh, re-referee it again, or, or like you can't then look at the penalty if you like. Similarly, like the was it Starfield? I can't remember, remember the Hearts game. Obviously, the first game where we we scored a goal, but they gave a foul. And it turns out it wasn't a foul because the referee had blew before the ball went in the net or something. They couldn't then re-look at it. I can't remember who actually scored for us that game. But with somebody, like, we, we scored a, a perfectly good header, but the foul, it was said it was a push on the Hearts defender. And the referee blew the whistle before the ball went in the net, so they couldn't actually look at it. But then you actually see it side on when you're looking at the line. The, the Lesman puts his flag up when Tumble's on the ground. Or, like, and Tumble's been on the ground for a couple of seconds anyway. So he's, he's obviously... The linesman, to the extent, is doing his job right in the sense that he's trying to let the play progress till it breaks down. Then he's putting his flag up, thinking it's offside, which is fair enough. But how's we are not then looking at going well? No, that was a penalty. Yeah. So I don't. I, I, maybe it's just the way the rules are. The fact that they've gave offside, they can they can then go back looking at the penalty. But the fact that the foul's been made before the offside decisions getting made have been given. Surely they can. I just didn't can. But for me, that. That's that one is a penalty. The Rangers won. If you're given it, if for the reason they never gave it, it should be a penalty because I think it is a blatant. I don't think it's a blatant handball, but I think it's a handball. But obviously they have then looked in it, so it's a bit of a moot point because so it's not a penalty. But it's just the meltdown that's just just came for it all. Was just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it makes for for more. Good viewing, doesn't it, after us winning the Derby game, to be fair. And I mean, Franny, going back to yourself, some positive. Kyogo scored his seventh goal in a calendar year against them in the Derby game. And I thought his goal was absolutely fantastic. It's one of the goals you've probably seen highlight reels for years to come for goals in Glasgow Derbys, and rightly so. The phase of play, I think Naraki played it into O'Reilly. O'Reilly then fizzed it to Kyogo. May have made the run off the left. Uh, from uh, Yilmaz, it looked like maybe Kyogo playing through, but he didn't. Obviously, probably know the reasons why. And then Kyogo <laughs> faints. He, he faints and then takes Goldson out of the game because Goldson thinks he's running behind. He dips off him, controls it, left foot, opposite corner from where Jack Butler was going. I mean, it's a goal worthy to win any match. Oh, no, absolutely super goal. Like you say, just how quick we, we built up the play when Norovka just playing that defence button pass. Um, breaking the lines and O'Reilly just doing what O'Reilly does, just put it. I thought Kyogo's movement was brilliant. How we just you, you, you see it, and obviously Goldson's obviously wary of his uh, his the ball maybe going over the top in Kyogo's pace, and Kyogo's clever, knowing that he's probably not got enough space for that, so he just drops deep to pick up. And I think I think every one of us, and we were obviously down at Wally's house watching it, and his and his bar and stuff. I think every one of us is saying. Slip my head in, slip my head in. Even though it'd have probably been about five times off him, he was he was putting in Saturday like it was like he was controlling a fucking uh, balloon or something, man. Honestly, it was terrible. Uh, but it was it just like you say, just kind of drops his shoulder, takes on his his bad foot, and like you say, Stephen bends it into the top corner. It, it's, it's an absolute absolute world day of a goal just into the top bins and stuff. Jack Button. I think he gets a wee touch in it, but he's just, it's one of them, he's, it's one of the ones the keepers, you just know the keeper's never getting it, it doesn't matter where the keeper is, it just, he's never got to get it. And it says seven goals in a calendar year against Rangers, like, I didn't know, like, 
I'm not obviously he's, he's no better than Larson, but did Larson ever seen like it must be close to the most goals against Rangers for a Celtic player, certainly in recent history, any any time, and never mm. mind in a calendar year. So I, I, it's some achievement. Obviously, I think he went two or three games before actually before actually scoring. And then if you actually look at his goals, he scored the, the equaliser late on at Ibrox for his first one. So he scores a big goal then, scores, what's it, two in the semi-final, one in a cup final, couple at Parkhead and stuff. Then obviously the one in Saturday that, that turns out to be the winner. So it's, it's all big goals in these games. And he's he was a wee bit a wee bit indifferent in form and stuff. And it just, just shows he's, he's an absolute big game player. Um, I think... We've even talked recently on the podcast. Would you maybe not necessarily saying replace them, but do you think Rogers would look at another strikers? If you look at Rogers' strikers, especially when he was at Celtic first time round, it's I know Griffiths obviously featured a wee bit, but Griffiths came off the back of scoring 41 goals, and Rogers went out and booked Mr. Dembele. So it's not, it's not really if you look at what Rogers does with a striker, Jamie Vardy aside, it's, it's not really the type of player. That it normally goes for. Obviously, folk might bring up Luis Suarez, but that's just, he's a world class, but that's a wee bit different when you're talking about guys like that. But I think Kyogo just reminded a lot as how good a player he, how good a player he actually is. It was just, again, just turning up on the big games and just ever since he's got that first goal against Rangers, he's just, it always seems to hear a big say in these games. Thank you, Strays of the Doctor. I've said it ever since this <laughs> all started. Yes, he signed the pre-contract in the January when Ronnie Dillon was still there. Oh man, go look it up. Look it up. I'm going. But uh, uh, Anthony, I think it was Rogers for signing so because he was signing the pre-contract. Anthony, to be fair with uh, Franny, he makes a great (coughs) great point in regards to Kyogo being a a big game player, maybe of the legs of uh, Henrik Larsson. Obviously, not as talented or nowhere near his stature at the club at the minute. Anyway, what I would say as well, that's two goals. Including the one he scored he's, uh, on Saturday, that he scored outside the box, and both against I think Jack Butland. I think he's becoming a menace for for Jack Butland to be fair, and, and the Rangers team in a whole seven goals in the calendar year against him. And regardless of his dips in form, he was coming back on the game. And I think he referenced it in one of his wee interviews or wee vlogs that he does. The reason he believes that his form dropped off is because Scotty's defenses have become more aware of his game. They've become more smarter in defending, lower blocks, not as much space. And to be fair to him, that, 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 that's good to admit, but you always have to find, find a way around that that they impact the game anyway. But he certainly impacted the, the Glasgow Derby, didn't he? He most certainly did. Um, <clears throat> you look at players like Bernardo as well, bring him back into the equation. These are guys, Kyogo, Bernardo, Hatati, in the last couple of years under Ange. They've all came out and they've all stated, yeah, I know where my shortcomings are. I know what I need to do to change and to fit into the side and do X, Y, Z. If players are willing to develop their own game to fit in with what the manager's asking them to do, then that's great. What we don't want to do, though, is overly um, suppress what Kyogo's best at doing. We need to feed them in at times. But Rogers, did he not come out last week, was it? And he made a comment, I think it was, that Kyogo this time last year, before that game there, he was only three goals of a difference. So he's not that worse <laughs> off. Um, it's James Washington. He most likely is. He's not even left one. He's not even left one. But the uh, Kyle getting that goal on the weekend makes it, I think, only two goals worse off than this time last year 
going by what Rogers was saying. And that ain't that bad, is it? Okay, he went mm-hmm. what, nine games without scoring, but that probably shows you how good he was at the start of the season as well. And if he's going to get better again as the season goes on, yeah, he's fine. Um, we do need to acknowledge, though, that Rogers does like a bigger striker. He does like the Moussa Dembele's. He does like perhaps the look of O. I think we might see another striker come in. Um, we certainly could do with one just for numbers rather than anything else. It's a blessing in disguise that Cairo's not going to the Asia Cup. Um, but I wouldn't be looking... Unless we're going to spend a lot of money and get in a really big big kind of game player, you're not looking to replace Cairo. Cairo's one of the best strikers we've had in many a year. And as much as I'm talking about mm-hmm. improving the quality that we already have, you have to be realistic where our levels are. And Kyogo is now proven at this season in Champions League football as well. He is mm-hmm. at the top level that we can get at this club. And I'm more than happy with him at that level. We just need to make sure we play him to the best of his ability to fit with this team and this style of football that Rogers is trying to implement. Yeah, and I think as well, James, like Anthony rightly said, they're the style of play has uh, to complement uh, him. What was that, Stephen? Listen, listen to me, right? That's one article. Send me two and you'll get an apology. But here, he sent me he sent me the article on WhatsApp saying that uh, Roger signed Dembele and he was like, apologies now. He's not getting that. He has to find more than one. It was a Celtic <laughs> star. I know they're I know we're they're reliable on that, but one another one. But um James, you, you look at Kyogo's impact and <clears throat> again, rightly so, and as we he does a you know that we flog thing he does and it gets translated, he admitted it as form stepped and he's been trying to find it again. And uh, <laughs> All right, Franny, calm you down. And um, I just thought that they laud Goldson as the best defender in the SPL. Do you know what I mean? Balligan, they love him. And they say these guys are great defenders. He makes them look silly every single time he comes up against them. Jack Butland, do you know what I mean? The next big finger upgrade at goalkeeping position. Again, he was left wanting with that strike. And I just think, Kyogo, if you're all about big game player, big game impact, European level, he had to prove it, which he did this season. A couple of good goals in the Champions League. And I just think, like like Anthony said there, I think he's the best striker we've had in years. I, that's what we were saying, Kevin Haim, um, Kevin Haim for the game on Saturday. That's his best goal against Rangers since his last one. And he's it, just becoming so reliable in these fixtures. Um, I, probably similar to Bernardo, maybe a wee bit to a lesser extent, but you just hope that this is a, a kind of springboard for the rest of the season for him. Um, we seen him getting his goal a couple of weeks ago and he you could see how much it meant to him when he was celebrating and obviously um, similar again at the weekend. So hopefully that's him back on the, the goals tail and he's going to kick on now in the second half, uh, the second half of the season, sorry. Um, but I I agree with, with what Franny was saying earlier. I think that Rogers does like a mere physical striker, so I do think that we will probably sign, be it a Mayofsky or... I know Sydney Van Hoydonk's a name it keeps appearing as well, but I do think we'll go for somebody a wee bit more physical than Kyogo. But Kyogo is just a brilliant player. He probably, I'd probably say, no, he is the best since Larson. Um, and that's obviously great company to be keeping when you consider some of the strikers that we've had between times. Um, but I, he's, he's just becoming so reliable. And funnily enough, we were actually when we were starting at half time, kind of talking to guys around about is that's what we said. Kyogo's not got his goal yet. And obviously, two minutes into the second half, he pulls that Boom. one out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So, aye, he's becoming reliable, and that's obviously a great trait to have in the, the big games. Yeah, and Paul McFarlane's come in here, Balogun great. I'm not saying he's great. I'm saying that's what their fans would say about their defenders, mm-hmm. which Kyogo makes look silly on a constant basis when he plays them. And speaking of Balogun, 
thankfully. I'd, I mean, it made, it made it the 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 best impact of his whole game by getting him sent off. It was a stonewall red card. Uh, Balogun lost the, the ball, um, made a nip in and got it. But let, let's talk about the, the the incident after all this happened. It got a bit got a bit heated. He pushed one of our players. I can't remember who it was. Then it looks like he's been went, went off. And look, I've I've looked at the footage right, and again. We don't know the ins and outs. We don't know if it definitely was and, and all that. Obviously, it needs to be proved. And hopefully, authorities are looking at this because if it is, it needs to be punished at the highest level. It looks like when he's walking off the pitch, Anthony, there looks to be, obviously, he's getting grief from the fans and he's reacted in some way. And it, it, it looks like he's gestured towards them. I don't know. Some say it looks like he's blown them a kiss or a sarcastic kiss or some say it could be spittle that's left his mouth. But look, again, it does need to be investigated. But w- what did you... Did you think of that for me? I just thought, as I said, if it's proved to be what I think it is, then it needs to be punished at the highest level. Uh, no other way around it, Stephen. If it is proven that's what's happened, and I've seen the video myself, it's a bit, it's a bit pixelated, a bit kind of hard to see what what's actually happened. I think the video that I've seen is a bit of a slow motion as well, so that doesn't really help get the gist of it. But from what I can see of the whole picture, of the whole build-up, he's got his red card from. I'm pulling Maeda down, which best thing Maeda's done in the whole game, because <laughs> even at that point, I didn't think for some reason Maeda, the fastest player on the pitch, I don't think he had the legs on him to beat the guy, so the fact that he managed to get a, a red card on uh, from him is actually quite quite astounding. But he's got the red card, he's then made the gesture to shove somebody else as he's been going off the pitch, and then he's made arguably a, a spitting motion towards the fans, if that is proven to be what it is. The whole thing needs to be looked at because it's not mm-hmm. just a, a simple last man red card, miss one game. There's violent conduct and the, the pushing and then there's potential that he's aggravating the support and spitting and stuff. That needs to be looked at. And it maybe even brings in the conversation back again of the whole conspiracy. Is all this statement shite and nonsense from Rangers just a deflection to try and not let the focus land on their misdealings of that game? Because... They talk about things like Alistair Johnson should have been on a second jello, um, various other players, Bernardo. Guys like Sterling should have been sent off. Sterling yeah. had multiple challenges worse than Alistair Johnson's yellow and never got a booking, but got a soft booking at one point. All the, rest of it. the ref had a shite game. I'm well on a tangent at this point, guys. Um, <laughs> to thing. Yeah, it needs I love, to be no, I love, I, I love tangents. You say what you want. Go ahead. <laughs> nah. I, I think they need to have a look inside themselves and the SFA, SPFL, whoever fucking deals with all this nonsense. They need to look at that specific incident as you're talking about it, Stephen, because the mere, the sheer fact that somebody suggested that that is possible that's what happened, somebody needs to take that serious and have a look at it. You can't mm-hmm. have players getting away with that. That just allows that to, to snowball and happen in the next game. And we all know what they're like when we're still to go to Ibrox, especially no fans, and they got all riled up on themselves. We can't have this continuing and going on any further. Yeah, and, and, and James, I totally agree with what Anthony says, that it does need to investigate it in the highest of 40s in Scottish football if they can battle the to do so. But John comes in with an interesting point. I'd rather be punched than spat on. Um, on the other hand, why hasn't the mainstream media brought this story up? Now, I've seen a lot of traction online with certain things being shared, trying to get attention of probably mainstream media people or journalists to pick up the story. It hasn't happened as of yet. You can probably guess why, because, again, it needs to be proved. But it kind of, if, if we look at other instances in the past, the, the, the Rand Kent punch and Scott Brown was unpunished. The, the, the glass bottle in, in Joe Hart's box was unpunished. 
the physio being hurt with a, a battle was unpunished. So my confidence is quite low that this is going to be dealt with in, in the appropriate way. But I, I do think it's right that if there's someone there that could say or an, an eyewitness who was in the stands could come out and say what actually happened because I think Anthony's bang on. I've reviewed the footage. I sound like a VAR official. I've, I've looked at the footage mm-hmm. multiple times. And when you slow something down, you're going to see something coming out of the mouth or you're going to see something that looks probably worse than it was. But Balogun seemed to me anyway that he lost his head in that moment with the, the, the push on the player being sent off and, and, and trailing the other down because inevitably he knew he let his teammates down. He's walking off the pitch probably full of emotion. Where do you stand? You were at the game. You probably didn't see all of it there, but did you, did you see it and you get back home and stuff? I, with the sender off, I think he's done us a massive favour. I think, if we're being honest, and Maida gets in past him, there's every chance that that ball's going into the car park by the way Maida was played <laughs> going forward. So he's probably done us a favour that way. But the, if I'm being totally honest, the, the spitting thing, I'd, I'd, I've seen a video and it seemed to be for the back of the main stone. I'm not going to say spatting him because I, I generally I don't know. I'm not going to... Like you're saying, you would rather get punched in the face than spat on. So I'm not going to level that at MD without knowing that for, for sure. So I, 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 I don't know, mate. I don't know if there's other videos like you say. If, if he spat at somebody, obviously there'll be somebody there. So I, I don't know. I'm a get a buy in that one, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Because the, the video that I've seen, I, I, if I'm being perfectly honest, I don't really see anything. Um, but as I say, it is for the back of the main stone. Maybe there's other angles or whatever I've not seen, but I've, I've, I've been the level that um, without being sure. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And, and Franny, anything to add on that one? And I'm, I'm similar to James. It's like I've seen the video, obviously, like the only real video I had seen is the one for the, the back of the main stand where you can obviously see it front on. There's no, no denying he, he's looking at the fans. You probably can't expect that there's maybe. There's definitely will be a few verbals gone at him and that and natural reaction will be turned around. Um, the one you sent, Stephen, that does look like something's happened, but am I subconsciously looking for a spit? So I'm seeing something. Am I seeing a spit then? I don't know. Mm. I, my, when you look at the one that you see for the back of the stand, my big, the glaring obvious thing I notice or don't notice is nobody really is properly reacting for the fan base to say, by the way, like, yeah, I think, they say, I think, I can't remember who said it, but like, obviously, James just kind of, you, you would rather get punched than spot on. I think if you did get spot on, there's a wee bit shot, there's, you would be gone mental a wee bit. So I didn't really see that for the fans, and I am no got it. I, I think maybe, I think we're looking for something here that's maybe no, no happened. As I say, investig- if it's got to get investigated, it, it should, if there's a genuine, I, I suppose it'll only be, maybe it can get investigated if, if that's apparent fan. Uh, talk, uh, or whoever gets spat at then, then complains about it I suppose that's the only way it can get investigated yeah. at the end of the day but I think I, I I don't know if it's just looking for something for the sake of it looking for something for me mate but I, what I love the best about that is if you actually watch it they know the, the spit but when it gets sent off Kyogo actually goes up and just pats him in the back <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember who he pushed I'm, I'm tempted to say it was I've, Greg Taylor I've never, but no, obviously I wasn't it was a forceful game, so push I wouldn't have noticed and I don't think you've really noticed it you can tell in any but um, again look James they, they were down to 10 men we'll move on from that incident and I think one of the major I would say major disappointments but gripes that I do have certainly didn't really take advantage of the 10 men I know there was a period where we were keeping possession, they were doing the cheering, Ole in the stands, which was quite fun to hear. It felt like Warburton was back in town and they were wearing the, the looks on their heads again. It was like that type of feeling. But 
a kind of late rally from them, seeing Tavernier get a free kick, kicking the Rocky, brung him down. Again, it was a free kick, in my opinion. He said he got the ball, but, you know. I mean, McGrand has been asking in the comments all night, should, should Joe Hart have saved that free kick? I've seen a lot of debate about this. Me personally, I, I mean, nine times out of ten, James, you know where Tavernier is going to put that. He's putting that in, in the closest corner he can find. Joe Hart, for me, as I've said for weeks and weeks and months and months, he's just too slow at getting across to them. And I thought, in my opinion, his hand was really weak when he actually got to the ball. It kind of flapped. It kind of flapped. Do you know what I mean? So, I, I, where do you stand on this with, with a Joe Hart? I, I think he should have done better. Um, obviously, being at the game where I sit, that's pretty much kind of right in front of me um, when it happened. And I don't, I, for being honest, I don't think there was anybody in the stadium that didn't think he was going to score. Um, it looks as if he gave him uh, three quarters of the goal he hit. So if he beats the wall, the chances are it's a goal. And, and I say that it was kind of half in jest. I say that at the game, but see when we like Palmer doing behind the wall, that I, I think that's utterly pointless. I've never seen it hit. Maybe we're talking there. about that. I, talking and about. how often do you see? Obviously, before all this stuff came in about the player lying down, how often did you see a ball going under the wall and scoring? It was very, very rare. And what I actually said is. Obviously, the Lee Griffiths two against Joe Hart for Scotland at Hamden are the, the kind of obvious ones. And then there was one against Hearts a couple of weeks ago. And I, I totally get the downside. I understand what I'm going to say. It'll sound stupid, <coughs> uh, probably. But stand Palmer up and put Palmer in the post. James Tavernier is never going to cross the ball for there. I understand he's playing oh. everybody on side. But he's never, going to, he's never no shooting for that distance. You know he's going to shoot, and as I say, literally everybody in the stadium knew it was going to be. I, I, I agree with that as well. You can't blame him for every goal he concedes, but it's just look who who are we to tell Joe Hart about goalkeeping. I mean, uh-huh. the career he's had is obviously brilliant, but it's a, it's yeah. obviously a weak point in his and his and his Arsenal basically because we've seen it um, as I say in his career. But uh, even when he was stoning, as I say, I think he gives up too much of the goal, but. He stands kind of on the diagonal as if he's maybe kind of like half expecting him to cross it into the box. And again, no goalkeeper, who am I to tell Joe Hart? But when he's standing in the diagonal, surely it's harder to shift your feet because you're essentially diving into the goal as opposed to across and it. And it looks like he, he does that a lot. Aye, and like you're saying, when he's diving in at that angle, that's maybe why he's a bit conscious of the post being there and that's why it's a bit of kind of flappy, flappy honey throws at it. So... You, you can't slaughter him for every goal he concedes a hundred percent, but at the same time, I, I I feel it's probably a mistake. The same way I feel the mm-hmm. Hearts goal was a mistake. I feel his positioning's wrong. He's given him too much of the goal. The Hearts won more so because it was further out, um, and there's no reason for him noticed on in the middle of the goal. There's probably an argument to be made for no having a wall. Um, would probably help the goalkeeper more than the wall being there, but being at the game. And, Storing it genuinely, it was just that everybody expected it to go in. And as I say, I said half in jest at the time, we'd be better putting Palmo in the post and should have shipped two seconds later, Earl the Wall, and into the tap corner. Whether Palma being there makes a difference, but for me, it'd be a lot more used there than he is lying down behind the wall. I know it's like players can see that opposition players are not going to go low. Why? Because Palma's laying there. I mean, pretty obvious. But I mean, Franny. You look at it, and to be fair, Joe Hart, I did think, had a good game overall. I think he kept out a few decent shots in the first half. Low to his right-hand side. I think Dasser's had one. Seema had one. 
and he saved it with a strong, <coughs> strong hands. And I think before the free kick was conceded, Tavernier had an identical free kick, and he hit the wall in about that area. Mm-hmm. About that area, I think it was two minutes before, like James said. Second time around, you know what he's going to do. He tried it the first time. He whips it round with pace. Yeah, it was it was hit well, but I'm, for me anyway, being cynical, I'm expecting Joe Hart to do better there. I'm I'm kind of on the fence. I don't know where I stand with it because I, I maybe looking at it going, well, he got hand touch, so he should do better. There's an argument for that. But what? In the same token, I'm sitting thinking, I'm I'm, I'm similar with this maybe with the penalty in the sense that because we've got a positive result, we've won. Am I track? Am I being subconscious, being a wee bit more balanced with this and trying not to sort of get on Joe Hart here? And, and stuff, and maybe giving Tavernier a bit more credit. Just what, just one of the ones, because it's no, I have conceded, but it's not really meant anything at the end of the day. And the grand scheme, what comment have I just totally missed? That well, one, James I, can I, tune in now. Liverpool game was finished. The darts is still on, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so I, I, I do think I know folk are saying he, he gave up too much to one side. And then there's an argument going, well, that was what said the walls sort of for defending. But look, we could all sit and slate James Tavernier, but he's it, pretty good at free kicks. Like he, he gets them up and down. And there probably is an argument not to have a wall at all. Because I know you obviously hurt the wall prior to that, but generally nine times out of 10, Tavernier gets him up and down. Uh, he obviously scored one at Parkhead last season. Uh, very similar. But I, I would say Joe Hart probably should have said that one more than I had a chance with this one. I think. Like on, on one hand, it's it's an absolutely brilliant free kick. That aside, it's an absolutely brilliant free kick. Not it's not in the top bins, but it's it's close to the top corner. It's it's with that pace and swerve, it's it is a really, really good free kick. But I just I just Joe Hart maybe just suffering for age at that stage, we just can't get to it soon enough. And I think that's maybe maybe been the bigger problem is Joe Hart. A younger Joe Hart maybe saves that. Mm. I don't know how much younger because I'm trying to remember. I think the Scotland game was about six Lee years ago. <laughs> I think that was in the struggle to get to the ones. But I'm, I'm maybe just the fact that we got a good result. I'm maybe subconsciously trying to not go in and Joe Hart when maybe I should be going in on him. Um, and but equally, as it, I mean, as some folk maybe want to go in on him because he got anti it. Yeah, I, by the way, I think is, it is, I seen a comment on Facebook <laughs> on Twitter about that saying the boy had a, a boy's paper and must have been in Chernobyl. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I think as well. I mean, if we're only pouring over one mistake or a supposed mistake by Joe Hart and a victory mm-hmm. in a Glasgow derby, it shows that we had a very good game. And James, right. the kind of the rounded off. I thought Brendan Rodgers after the game, his post match was absolutely incredible in my opinion. When he was saying about every time he faces a Rangers manager, they're coming. They're coming. He's faced five at this point. Basically, I think he just sounded a bit fed up of the same old questions that he gets leveled at him after these games. And look, he's bound to have big respect for, for Clement. He's obviously achieved um, accolades in the game, league titles in Belgium and, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, he's right. Every time he faces a new manager, Rangers are coming. You'll see the r- real Rangers. Tavernier says it every time that the Derby Week appears. I think Dessers, I think there was something on their website that Dessers was dreaming of scoring a win in Glasgow Derby goal. All these yeah, ridiculous... Si- oh, he did, but... Yeah, Jesus. But all these great sound bites come out of the club and the, the, 
the field of every other game. And Rogers played it cool, calm, and collected, like he'd done at Ibrox and like he'd done at Parkhead. And I thought it was just magnificent. I, I mean, Rogers obviously doesn't has no escape criticism this year, rightly. Yeah, but he, he does always seem to have their numbers. So I, th- I thought we played well. I think it was thoroughly deserved. Um, gave up a few chances. Probably missed a couple of sitters, to be fair, with the chances that they had. But I you go to one, it was relatively comfortable. We bossed it by and large, um, and it just does seem to have their number, um, which obviously is, is a great thing to have. So I go to, go to game credit, and he deserves it after Saturday. Yeah, and I think, Franny, one defeat in 14 Glasgow Derby games. Some record. Is that, uh, that is some record. And I mean, to put a bit of context, some of the teams he was playing maybe are... Don't know, be the best Rangers teams he'll come up against. Still a derby game, man. It doesn't know, matter. To talk, to kind of flip it, you could maybe argue the team that Rogers had first time around, certainly in his first season, was maybe better than the team that he's got the now. So maybe mm. kind of it balances itself out a wee bit and stuff. So, and equally, I think the managers came up against you've got your Mark Robertons, Michael, uh, the, uh, what, Marty, Cassinia as well. Gerard. ウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナフィルウェナ
here I am. Celtic still do it, and I think mm-hmm. again a two-one victory. Put them back in their place. As I said, Glasgow is green and white. Have you enjoyed the podcast? Brilliant. It's always good after games like Saturday. <laughs> easier. I mean, James has had. I mean, he's watched the Liverpool game. He's watched the darts. He's <laughs> talked to us. You've had a whale of a time, big man. Ah, brilliant, brilliant. I was on my twenty-five pound and three bets for MDL, so it was on that wee three-six-five bus. So, wow, ah, good, good wee night. <laughs> he's, he's not your typical male, sir. He's not your typical multitask. This multi-prong, <laughs> multi-pronged attack. But here, that I do want to wish so everyone. Steven, that was so rang. Uh, that was that oh, was different angles. I, I I don't know what was going on there. Please never show that clip ever. <laughs> but I mean, don't be clipping the Franham town. But I do want to wish everyone a happy new year in the comments. And obviously, 1st of January 2024, we'll look back on, on a great game there against uh, Rangers, put them back in their place. As I say, Glasgow's green and white. We are Celtic and we're, we're still top of the league. And hopefully this form continues into the new year, starting with tomorrow night in Paisley. And we'll review, well, we'll talk about that game on Friday when we're back for our usual podcast at 8 o'clock. But in the meantime, everybody, stay well, keep safe. Hail, hail. <laughs>